Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. This parable comes as a gift to us. Christ Church, like many churches at this time, um, are uh, offering an uh, invitation to think about what uh, you might commit to giving in 2020. And uh, churches I've been a part of, is a lot of times they'll, they'll sell this in like really miraculous um, ways and, and try to convince you that you know, the, you know, the secret to life is somehow revealed in your giving. And in, in the gospel reading today, this, this, this reading keeps us humble because the, the goat in the story is the one who was like the perfect tither. Right, and so I'm just going to sit here and say this. Next week as we come and gather for one service at 10 a.m., whatever you bring on your estimated giving card in no way impacts or reflects God's love for you or the church's love for you. This is simply just a way for you to learn and begin the practice of, of giving. So that's all I'm going to say about um, stewardship. I want to read to you an article that you may have seen and that respectable publication, The Babylon Bee. <laughs> a new report released in a joint study by several evangelical denominations confirmed Friday that habitual sin that everybody else struggles with is much worse than your own. The study found that your sin is regrettable, but not that bad. While everybody else's sin is horrible, disgusting, and should be repented of immediately. The vast majority of your sin, uh, the vast majority of sin that your Christian brothers and sisters struggle with is awful, the report said, while, you're, uh, while the overwhelming majority of the sin that you habitually commit is pretty minor. The report went on to say that, frankly, God doesn't really care that much about your sin, so just go on and keep doing them. Study analysts further confirmed that you shouldn't even bother trying to mortify your own indwelling sins since it's relatively minor, while you should constantly call out other people's horrifying sins. <laughs> judge them early, judge them often, the report wrote. They should be thankful that God has placed somebody as holy as you on this earth to point out their failings. This gospel story that we hear this morning is one of those that we know um, really well, and it is um, honestly probably my favorite um, story. There's a Pharisee and there's a tax collector who are gathered at the temple to pray, and the Pharisee is praying to God, thank you, God. I have been faithful in my church attendance. I have given a tenth of my income. Even the money that grandma gives me, I have given a tenth of that. I have never cheated on my wife. I have served as senior warden four times. I have been treasurer of the church. I am so holy and I am so thankful that I am me. Then he looks over and he sees this tax collector and he sort of scoffs. Look at that sinful tax collector here. I am so glad I'm not him. And here's the reality of the story, and this is why it was shocking, is because the Pharisees, by all accounts, were good people. 
Like we have been trained to read the Pharisees as horrible people, but they were people who did acts of compassion and mercy. They had incredible spiritual practices. Anybody who came and said, hey, I want to join your church and I'm a Pharisee, we're like, oh, great. I'm never going to be called in the middle of the night to bail you out of jail. And I know that your pledge will always be paid. But that is not the hero in the story. It's the tax collector. Now, the tax collector worked for or on behalf of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire um, occupied Israel. They were seeking for a day of deliverance where they would no longer live on, under occupation. And the, the Romans um, taxed them pretty heavily in order to kind of fund the Roman Empire. And so what they would often do is sort of uh, put out for private hire somebody who lived in the community that could go and find the people who hadn't been paying taxes because they spoke their language, they looked like them, and so tax collectors were not well-liked people. And it's not just because nobody really likes to pay taxes, but because tax collectors skimmed some off the top. How they made their money was if you owed $100, they would maybe charge you $125. And they would send the 100 off to Rome, and they would keep the 25 for themselves. And so here is this tax collector, by all accounts, probably not really a great person, who is the hero in the story because he is sitting there in the temple beating his breast and he is saying, having mercy on me, O oh God. We oftentimes like this story because we assume that on the next day after this tax collector has said this prayer, that the Spirit of God descended upon him and he woke up and he said, Geez, I know I shouldn't be a tax collector anymore. I'm going to go and start a nonprofit to help people. But that's nowhere in the story. Nowhere in the story does it say that the tax collector goes, Geez, I'm a really sinful person and so I'm going to change my ways. That's how we want the story to go, but that's not how the story actually goes. So can we still have Jesus-like compassion for somebody whose life may or may not change? We are really good as human beings of judging other people who sin differently than we do. And while we may make lots of justifications for our own selves, I'm sitting here and thinking about placing myself in the life of this tax collector. Now, none of this says that this excuses his behavior, but who among you, if you were desperate enough, wouldn't do something like this if it meant feeding your kids? Who among you, if you were desperate enough, wouldn't do something, I mean, let's just be honest for a moment here. You know, this is, this is uh, the, the story um, uh, in, in the office um, they're doing a, a, a seminar on ethics, and, and Michael Scott's like, who doesn't steal um, office supplies, and who doesn't steal time by watching YouTube and Facebook on, on their, uh, while they're at the office, and, and Dwight is the Pharisee going, oh, I never do that. I don't waste one moment, and so Jim spends the rest of the time trying to prove that Dwight actually um, is a little bit like the tax collector here. 
But we have been so programmed to feel that God can only love those who are, whose lives change. And, and for some people, the addiction may be so deep that their life is not going to change, or at least anytime soon. For some people, the sin is so deep that they may even realize that it's not the life that they want to live, but they don't have the power and the ability in this moment to make that change. And we often go and sit in judgment of those whose lives are not the way that we would live. And Jesus' message here is, is that the offering to God is a broken and a contrite heart. Chad Berg says that we have this image of God as someone who is standing by a whiteboard. He sits there and um, he writes down your name and he writes down your sin. And then when you confess that one, you, you know, God erases it. And so God's up there all day long just tallying our sins. And I guarantee you that God does not have time to tally our sins. Because as Chad says that what God is really doing is holding us up in the midst of our life, even when we are at our darkest place. That God's hands have no time to write our sins on a blackboard because God is wiping the tears of those whose hearts are broken. They're not scribbling down sins and glaring at us until we confess God is constantly the one who loves us. few moments we're going to be baptizing some folks and um, I have sort of a, a radical view of baptism in which I believe that baptism changes us at the very core of our being and that we become we join Christ in his death and resurrection and it is only through God's grace through Jesus Christ that we are saved and redeemed and made righteous no matter what you do, and I'm not sitting here saying don't have spiritual practices. I mean, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just saying that that's not going to make you righteous. The only thing that makes us righteous is God's grace given to us by Jesus' loving death on the cross for us. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org. And peace be with you.